Hello, everybody. This is Ed Robinson, and welcome to another episode of the Deep End Podcast with Ed. The Deep End. The Deep End. With Ed Robinson. The Deep End. We're in season number three, and the theme for season number three is leadership from the inside out. Translated, going behind the scenes and talking to leaders, nonprofits, for profits, around the community, and talking about some of the things that they're doing and what it's like to be a leader. But before I introduce you to our first inspiring guest, I want you to do what we call a lifeguard tower moment. Remember, that's when you do something for someone else. So I want you to go to this website, www.l for Larry, E. Edward, A. Anthony, P. for Paul. So leap.org. And that is short for the Leadership Education for Asian Pacifics, Inc. And uh, we're going to we're going to learn a little bit more about that organization today. When you go to that website, I want you to not only peruse it, but find out what can you do uh, to get involved, whether it's a financial donation or whether it's volunteerism or if it's some leadership opportunities, since we're talking about leadership. So let me not keep you waiting. We're going to jump into the deep end. And I just, I am very excited to have a friend of mine, someone that I've known for several years, who happens to be the president and the CEO of Leadership Education for Asian Pacifics, Inc. And that is my dear friend, Linda Akuragawa. Linda, thank you uh, for being here. First and foremost, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, we're uh, two years into this pandemic thing, right? I mean, working from home, I tell you, when it first happened, it was so weird. And now it seems so normal now. No, yeah. Can you imagine that? It's been two years now. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 hard to, I mean, it's just so weird. I mean, it is hard to imagine, but yeah, it's been two years and what seemed like so abnormal has become normal. And in fact, going back to what we would call normal seems abnormal now that is true yeah about tell us a little bit about your 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 early life about your family your parents and whatever you like to tell us well first off i just want to say thanks for having me on on your podcast and you know i i'm just so happy to be able to um have this time and this conversation you know i've always enjoyed our our previous conversations and uh, to be able to be here uh, in a different kind of context with you, this is this is really you know my honor and my pleasure. And um, thanks for asking about my early family life. You know, it's kind of um, something that I I've I've started learning to share more of because you know I always used to think it's so unremarkable, but then I thought you know we each all have a story to tell and, and, and our early life is so much a part of that. So um, I'll, I'll first share, um, and this is some of our interconnections here too. I grew up in Rosemead uh, where I know you spent quite a bit of your career in Rosemead. So um, Southern California Edison was always that, you know, the big company that was uh, down the, down kind of the, the, the street from where I live. So um I thought I'd just share that. And um, for anybody who is familiar with Rosemead, it's a, uh, a working class community. Um, and it's funny, you know, because if I think about my early life and especially growing up as a, as a kid in Rosemead, um, you know, you don't really understand what all that means. And I never really saw the, the kind of the idea of what working class meant. It was, you know, it was home. Um, when I, it, 
when I was growing up as a kid, going to school there, um, it was a, a majority Mexican-American uh, community. And, and I say that intentionally because, uh, you know, yeah, back, I, I don't want to say how old I am, but I am pretty, <laughs> I guess I am pretty old now, I guess. Um, but at the time. Experienced. Experienced. Yeah, very experienced. Yes, very experienced. Um, but, you know, it's a community that was uh, very much Mexican-American, you know, and people were, in, you know, they very intentionally said that they were Mexican or Mexican-American. Um, and then, of course, you know, as we know, the demographics of our country, but also our state and our communities have also uh, become more diverse. And in the uh, Latino, Latinx community, it has become much more diverse in, in that identity as well, too. But when I was growing up, uh, pretty much everybody was Mexican-American <laughs> for the most part. I think um, I remember I had some friends who identified as Guatemalan, as El Salvador, from being from El Salvador, uh, but very, 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 very few uh, uh, in in those communities around, um, but there were some working class whites um, in the community. Uh, very few Asian and very few Black Americans in in this community. And so, my identity and I and I share that because I would say my identity was very much shaped by uh, my Mexican American friends, and it was uh, really interesting in that sense when I look back at how much my identity was shaped by by my friends. Um, you know, then going to a high school where it was very much majority white, um, you know, there were also a handful, you know, there was there was probably a good number of, again, uh, Mexican-Americans, Latinos in the in the school. Uh, I could count on one how many uh, Blacks and Asians there were in my school. So just some really interesting kinds of experiences. And then it wasn't until college that I had a much more fuller uh, experience with the broad diversity of of America, right? In terms of Asian, uh, Black, African American, uh, White, and Latino, uh, where I went to school at Cal State LA, which was still very local for me. Um, I'll say that my I, I come from an immigrant family. I'm the first generation born here. Uh, my parents are both from uh, Japan. Um, my dad is a is an engineer by training. Um, and my mom was a entrepreneur, I guess, um, you know, just when you think about growing up in that time frame, um, kind of limited opportunities for women and especially women that uh, didn't speak a lot of English at the time. And so um, my dad, fortunately, um, in his job, um, he came here at a a somewhat younger age he was 18 and um you know as with most people you have to learn english very quickly and so it enabled him to to go to uh, pasadena city college got his engineering uh degree there and went on to to work and that was i guess i could say um that was my life i think one other thing i'll just share and i think this is important is um and, and this is part of, I think, my storytelling about, about me, but also um, me as, a, as someone who's of Asian heritage. I think the, the prevailing stereotypes is that, um, you know, every Asian person has advanced degrees, you know, a number of advanced degrees. Um, 
My mom finished high school, but did not go to college. Uh, my dad, as I mentioned, went to Pasadena City College. So, you know, a junior college, uh, community college. And that was as far as he also went, but was able to make a life, you know, times were different then and was able to make a, a living and a life uh, where he was able to, you know, uh, he and my mom raised a, a family. There was myself and my sister and um. Yeah, I thought I'd just share that because I wanted to dispel a, a myth about, um, you know, our community. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, it sounds like you were introduced to diversity and inclusion at an early age, and then your parents being the type of leaders laying that foundation for you. So who were those key influencers in your life, Linda? I, I would I would first say my parents. Um, they I think my involvement in community and being able to um, to give back was shaped a lot by my parents. Um, my they were both very active in the in the in the Japanese American community specifically through both um, the church um, and also through um, an organization in which there were others from their, I'll say their kind of hometown. And so uh, it, it, it showed me that community involvement was something that was important and, and I wouldn't say expected, they certainly didn't expect it, but it was definitely important and that that engagement and giving back was uh, something that leaders did. Now, now uh, congratulations also to LEAF. I know this is, I believe, your 40th year and you have your banner that you're displaying. So tell us a little bit about LEAF and as well as its mission. Yeah, so I, I will share that I've been with LEAF for quite a, a significant amount of time. And uh, LEAF is an organization that I got introduced to early on, uh, fairly early on in the sense um, of just an organization that was created, was founded to develop and grow leaders from within Asian and Pacific Islander communities. And I was really attracted to it. I was really fascinated by it. I thought, wow, you know, if I get involved, I too can develop leadership skills. And that's how I got engaged. And, you know, leap over the years, I realized that um, when I took over as, as, as uh, CEO, um, now about 10 years ago, um, I wanted to be able to build on, on the legacy of what was created and to be able to now take it, you know, even further. And I realized that a lot of the a work that initiated LEAP still exists, but the ways in which we reframe it and tell um, our stories is going to be, is, is changing. And part of what I see LEAP's mission is, not only to our mission is to achieve full participation and equality through leadership empowerment and policy but i think our vision is seeing diverse leaders shaping communities for the benefit of all and so it's through our mission of developing asian and pacific islander leaders that we contribute to a broader mission of contributing to diverse leaders that that do shape communities that benefit all and part of the ways in which we're 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 working to achieve this mission is really um, what I realize is that um, it is through the development, it is, it is creating systemic, you know, systems change through the development of, of leaders that um, 
are Asian and Pacific Islanders, but in doing so, it's also about changing the narrative, I think, about our communities. Um, I think it's being able to help people see that as leaders, we're three-dimensional, not two-dimensional. And I think a lot of times that's been part of the challenge is that it's hard to see and really understand what, what um, communities can do if we're just kind of reduced down to this kind of two-dimensional caricature. Um, but making us three-dimensional makes us real. And I think that's really about what leadership is able to do is to to give a more three-dimensional kind of uh, perspective on on all of us that we we we're we're doing what we do not just for ourselves but but for communities diverse communities it's amazing you said that the three-dimensional leadership because that's what our theme is for this season, season three is leadership from the inside out so i appreciate you sharing that one one of what just go back in history so did you succeed uh, JD? I succeeded JD, yes. So uh, JD, I, I worked with JD for probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. probably close to- Introduce JD so they know what I'm talking about. Oh, sure. So, so JD is a founding board member of LEAP. Um, he is not the first executive director. There was another person, but uh, you know, LEAP was, if you've ever heard the the kind of the phrase, you know, like sitting around the kitchen table, LEAP was literally founded by a group of people within Southern California sitting around the kitchen table, you know, at, saying, you know, asking that question and, and maybe in some ways kind of making this statement, you know, um, why do we keep seeing the same people show up over and over again and someone should and and in this case, people, you know, the folks who were sitting around that table realized, well, that someone should be us. And and what that someone should do is be able to give the kind of skills, um, be able to help provide that inspiration to folks from within the Asian and Pacific Islander communities to have that to gain that sense of confidence that comes from feeling like I know how to do something. So that's where the leadership development comes from. And so um, the person that I worked with for um, a couple decades is JD Hokuyama, who is a, a founding board member and he led LEAP. And I had the honor of uh, being to, you know, uh, work with him and then to be able to take over from him. And, it, and you ask, you know, who were some of the key influencers in my life? And I would say, you know, having worked with him for so long, he is definitely one of the key influences in my life. And, um, you know, being able to take his legacy that was built upon the earliest group, founding group and, and being able to continue to move it uh, forward and to be able to grow it is certainly been something that um, has been both fun and an honor and uh, as with anything, it comes with its own pressure. You know, I, I want to be able to do to 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 do honor, to do justice to you know to all the work that was done that preceded me too. Linda, at the time of this recording, as you know, this will be in the this is the month of March, which is known as Women's History Month, which to me is every month because women make great contributions from family to corporate America, nonprofit, and so forth. So. When you're you're the you're the president and the CEO of Leap. Twofold question: Did you envision yourself at one day being the president and the CEO 
And then how, how has it been as a female leader? Oh, wow. I will tell you, no, I did not imagine myself. I will, t- in fact, I, I'm sure JD would probably even tell you that um, I, I think I even said I was not ever interested in his job. Um, but, you know, you, you hang around long enough and you realize it's like, okay, you know what, why not me? And I feel like sometimes I think for women, I think that that does happen. I think we we oftentimes don't have the role models, don't have the kind of, uh, of encouragement to think why not and in my case i i happen to be working uh with jd and at leap for a, a you know a fairly substantial period of time and i think I, I i eventually came to see that you know what i could do this too you know and i would say that for other women um i, I would definitely say i think we we just need to just go out and try things. And, and the one thing I would also, I also say to everybody and anybody is um, don't be afraid to try to leave something that, you know, to try something new. I think that that's really important. Um, And that could come in different ways. And I think that the more we can experience different opportunities, the more we continue to grow. And I was fortunate. I think uh, I was at LEAP at a time where there was a lot of growth happening. And um, even though I had been at LEAP for a long time, I always tell people if there's, I have pretty much done everything and anything there is to do at LEAP. I have done every single role uh, that that we've had or could have at LEAP. And I think that um, I've been fortunate in that way that I had that opportunity, but for others, you know, they may not have that opportunity where they are. And sometimes it does mean leaving. Sometimes it means um, trying something new with other people um, or in other places. Uh, maybe it, it it's through volunteerism on another board. Maybe it's, um, getting appointed to something. I, and I want to, you know, I, I, I want to just say that there's so many different other opportunities that we should be also actively exploring what those things are so that we can grow in our leadership. You never know where the things that you learn in one place you could bring back to, to the places that you're working in. And I would just absolutely encourage women, young girls, um, don't be afraid. Because I think that no matter what someone says, if you think it's right for you, just just go for it. Just try it. You never know. It, you, you, only you can decide um, whether it works or not. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. You know what? You're still going to be alive. And it's a lesson learned. And, you know, you just the next time you learn, you know, you learn to do something different because I don't think anything we try is ever wasted because there's always a lesson learned from it. Sage advice. My my mother used to tell us all the time, nothing beats a failure, but a try. So just try, just try, go out and go for it. So I like that advice. I know, I know you're a big proponent and you value diversity, equity, and inclusion. Tell us a little bit about that. I know you've been involved in several aspects of that. What would you have to say to that? I I think one of the areas for me, I'm a big proponent of it. And actually, you know, I would even add a, a fourth letter or a fourth word to that, which is belonging. And I think that 
diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is important. I think that there's a lot of value to be had from people who think differently. And I feel like my most you know, significant growth has come from people who think very differently and are unafraid to say something that's different. Uh, challenging me, challenging others to think differently. Sometimes the direct, you know, the, the, the differences in opinion may not be something because of what I said, but it's because something someone else said, but I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, that's a really great point. I would have never thought of that. And I think that that's really important. And, and I think, um, you know, for me, equity is really important. I think I, I, this is part of the, the more recent reflections that I've had. I think fairness is really important, but fairness is important in the sense that, you know, what's the purpose of it? it, It's just not about like, everybody has the same. Mm -hmm. But I think fairness has to be applied in a way that it feels right for everybody. And I think that's where equity comes from. And then inclusiveness, you know, I I mean, you know, it sucks to be left out, basically. Uh, And, and yet, I think there's too many places where we're we are left out, whether it's from boardrooms, whether it's from C-suites, whether it's at any decision-making place, uh, whether it's in, uh, even if it's just, uh, you know, basic leadership. Um, I think the more, the varieties of us, and I do mean varieties because we all bring different perspectives and different styles and, and different lenses to the ways in which we do things. I think the more we can be included the better our organizations can be. And then the belonging part, I think, is really important because we could, we could have an organization or um, an entity, a group, you know, whether it's, again, a company, it's a nonprofit, it's a, a boardroom um, that's diverse and, and inclusive of whoever needs to be there. But if at the end of the day, people don't feel like they belong that what they say is 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 being valued, you know, it's just all window dressing to me um, because we get the benefits when people who feel like they're engaged and they belong, then that's when we really realize the magic of all the different people who bring those perspectives. And part of the work that we do um, Leap is in coalition with lots of different organizations. Um, I, I, you know, for me, I've, I've been so pleased that part of the work that we've done, we've done work with like the African American Board Leadership Institute here locally in in Southern California, but also at a at a larger level, um, doing work together with at. Um, a more national level with the Alliance for Board Diversity, uh, which is uh, a coalition with uh, ASER, which is the Hispanic Association for Corporate Responsibility, the ELC, which is called the Executive Leadership Council, um, and Catalyst, which is a women's focused organization. And um, the our four organizations advocating for greater diversity on, on Fortune 500 corporate boards, because we know that um, ultimately the decisions do really start at the very, very top. And the more diverse boards are, the more they can also be not only profitable, but also they can ensure that the companies are really serving 
their internal stakeholders, you know, their employees and and others who work there, their their contractors, their their supply chain, um, but also their customers. And the customers will then be able to get um, things that really um, are reflective of their needs. And I think that's why, I mean, this is a very long-winded way of speaking to why I think DEIB is really important to me. And, and not only that, I, I, I like everything you said, and then even the belonging aspect of it. Most people hadn't hadn't thought about that. But then also, speaking of going directly, so to speak, in the lion's den, it's my understanding that you uh, testified before the House Financial Services Committee regarding uh, diversity on on in the boardroom. Tell us about that experience. Oh my gosh, that was quite the experience. And I, I, I will say, um, I'm glad that I was a little clueless as to what that really meant. Uh, and I went in, you know, sometimes like um, uh, when you don't really know, you just kind of go in and you have all this courage. I think if I had known before I walked in how much of a big deal it was, um, I think I would have been much more of a nervous wreck, right. uh, but I would. This is the United States Senate for <laughs> I want everybody. To the, actually, the U.S. House of Representatives. Yes. I, I, I mean, this is what I mean. You know, like sometimes ignorance is bliss. And I think a little bit of the ignorance, I, I think I've, I've spoken in enough places that I didn't think much of it. I thought, oh, yeah, OK, this is another speaking gig. <laughs> I think I just went in kind of like thinking that. And honestly, it wasn't until I finished. And, and fortunately, I have, I have um, you know, very thoughtful friends and colleagues who realized that before I went in, um, they called me and they said, okay, we want to make sure that you know what you're getting into and how are you feeling? And so we, we walked through everything. So I, I, I was prepared. So I wasn't completely like ignorant about, about it, but I went in thinking, okay, I'm in some ways, it was kind of like another, you know, speaking engagement. I, and I've done so many that I thought, I thought, okay, this isn't that bad. And it wasn't until after I finished that I started when I when I shared, it's like, oh, you know, I got to speak in front of this committee that I started getting these comments from people. And I realized it's like, oh, I guess this was a much bigger deal than I thought. But I mean, I right. was so honored. I mean, but I was there to represent the Alliance for Board Diversity, but more importantly, to speak to our lawmakers about why diversity on corporate boards is so important. And uh, yeah. How much time did they give you? And then what were the House of Representatives, the committee's uh, receptivity? Well, I, I, I had five minutes for my statement. So I, I, I had a prepared statement that I, I, I read and the, they were, I would say that they were definitely, there was, there was more receptivity than I, I won't say that I expected, but I was pleased that I think that there was more interest and receptivity than I imagined there would be. Um, there were some, you know, different kinds of questions, but I think generally speaking, I think people, there was curiosity and, and it was, it was, it was interesting to be a part of that conversation with, with the group, you know, with, 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 with our sitting Congress people. So that was, uh, that was pretty interesting. Oh. And then I know LEAP is always doing something. I'm, I'm familiar with LEAP from the, so to speak, the inside out. I know that uh, last month, 
you did a uh, bridging the cultural gaps between the API and the black communities. Can you describe that or talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so that is part of a new series that um, we've started at Leap called Leap Connect. And, and we realized that having, there's a lot, I mean, there's so many different things that we could talk about, but we wanted to be able to give space, even if it's, if it's a short time, give space for people to come together to talk about topics that are relevant now. And of course, February being Black History Month, we thought it was really important to really speak about that intersection um, and the allyship between Asian American communities and, and Black African American communities. And we were so pleased that we were able to have um, two fantastic speakers uh, and the feedback that we've gotten from everyone who participated has been nothing but positive. And in fact, I, I, I was sharing with my team, I said, it just seems like, you know, this, this, this kind of, um, there's just this hunger for more of these kind of conversations. And so I know that my team is also trying to think about how can we have a, a continuation of these conversations. And I think having, you know, different people connect with different organizations in different spaces. And I think um, even though there are similar conversations that may be going on, uh, I, I guess I look at it as this is an opportunity for LEAPS supporters and LEAPS uh, constituent brace to be able to take part in this conversation. And I know from the, again, the responses that we've gotten, people want to continue having these conversations. And I think it has really uh, spoken to a continued need for diverse communities to, to be able to have these it, it, at, at, you know, at all levels. I, I think in some cases that just may not be happening, either it's not happening as much, or we've just created a space where people feel like they can ask questions and be able to engage in, in, in at least, um, a dialogue with our speakers that we were able to get. And so I, I was so happy that it was so well received and it was just definitely something that we want to continue to do more of. Remember, I, I commend you and the LEAP team for doing it because I find that during times of um, when there's unrest, when there's uncivility, when there's issues, it seems like some folk want to come together but I think it's important to just have a dialogue year round, even when things are going well, because we find out in the final analysis, we have more in common than we are different. It's just, you know, it's just the, the lenses that society tries to put on. So I, I'm glad that you are leaning into that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so also you were appointed commissioner to the California Redistricting Commission. Tell us about the redistricting commission and what was that experience like? I, I will tell you that that was one of the most interesting and, and um, you know, it, it, probably one of the best experiences that I've had um, in the sense that I uh, learned a lot. I got to work with 13 other really interesting people. Um, I feel like I've been able to contribute to 
a process that is important to our democracy and also to the representation and engagement of um, of all Californians. And so, the, so the California Redistricting Commission is a where the sec. I guess I should say our formal name. We are called the uh, California Citizens uh, Redistricting Commission, and we are an independent commission, um, a body from the state legislature tasked with the uh, redrawing um, of all the electoral lines for uh, Congress, the California State Senate, and the California Assembly and the California Board of Equalization. And so we, uh, every 10 years this happens, we, we, we get the census numbers and we, with the help of some very talented um, staff and commission, uh, consultants who actually do the line drawing, uh, our, the commission goes about, taking into account um, hours and thousands and uh, we, we received over 36,000 pieces of input from Californians and we take into account all of those perspectives to redraw lines based on census numbers, uh, based on uh, communities of interest and uh, like I said it, it, uh, it, it I when I applied I applied in 2019, so this was before the pandemic, and I applied because I had heard that there was not as much of a uh, diverse pool of, of, of applicants, and so there was an effort to ensure that um, California was truly represented in its applicant pool. So you can't have you know, at the end of the day, you can't have a body that is truly representative if you don't have an a initial pool. So I thought, okay, well, let me just apply. And I applied. And lo and behold, I, I made it to the next round. And I thought, okay, you know, okay, this is this is kind of interesting. So um, and each time I got moved along, I thought, oh, my gosh, wow, okay, this is kind of neat. Um, it wasn't until the towards the very end when there was a final list of 60 names that went to the California state legislature and they have the ability to strike names from that list of 60. And I, I made it through. And then the very last process, and this is the, this is the funny part, you know, just imagine the California lotto with the, the ping pong balls. Yeah. So um, names are put in there and they, randomly draw out eight names, eight balls with names on it. And um, I wasn't part of that eight, but then uh, the, that first eight that selected then select the next six. And so um, I was fortunate um, to be selected as part of that uh, final group of six to make up the 14 member commission. And I will say that a lot of effort went into ensuring that um, that the first eight um, also heard from community members statewide um, 
about my candidacy as well as the candidacy of others and ensuring that the first aid took into account um, a broad diversity. And so, uh, you know, I would just say that as a commission, there were 14 of us, were five Democrats, five Republicans, five no party preference, um, eight women, um, six men. So uh, that was that was kind of nice. Uh, four Latinos, four Asian, um, three Black African American, and three uh, uh, white um, white Californians were part of the the mix. So when you think about it's a it was a pretty diverse group of people. Good representation of, of the state. Yeah, um, half from northern. Uh, well, half from northern Cal, half from uh, southern Cal. Um, there were two that were from um, out of. I guess I don't know. Depends on who you ask. Some will say Central Cal is part of Northern Cal, uh, but there were two that represented Central California. Um, different uh, professions. Uh, it was it was it was quite the diverse group of people. We had a we actually had a pastor as part of our actually we had two pastors actually as part of our group. We had someone who worked in state government. We had. Um, someone who is in philanthropy we have a professor um i i from a nonprofit. we actually had a couple three people representing nonprofits. we had a law enforcement officer as well too just a real array of of individuals on the commission that was really um great to work with and ultimately and i'm really proud of this we created maps that um, we felt really reflected the inputs that we received. Um, we we were people trying to lobby you. Uh, yes, yes, they they lobbied the commission very much. So um, some some. What about, what about you as an individual commissioner? Were there people trying to lobby you? Uh, no, because I wanted to, we, we, I, I, all of us as commissioners were really careful. Um, the, the, um, the laws around, uh, transparency and communications about redistricting was, was very clear. And we wanted to make sure that we did not do anything that would open up the possibility that someone could bring a lawsuit against the maps that we created as a result of maybe an inadvertent conversation. And so we were all very, very careful about when and who about or, or what we spoke about to the people that we knew. And um, the conversations that I think we all had, including myself, was really to just encourage people um, send in your inputs, call in, tell us what you believe is your community of interest and, um, you know, help us, help us understand those nuances so that we can draw maps that truly represent California. And so uh, what I'm really happy about, and I think this was, was seen in the end result is one, uh, our, our, I would say our deadline for someone to bring a lawsuit against our maps came and went. And um, 
okay. no peep whatsoever in terms of, of uh, dissatisfaction with the maps. I think what was shown in the maps that we ultimately created was the creation of districts that represented the diversity of California in those regions. Um, we created um, maps that also honored, there were six criteria that we had to follow, number one being equal so population size. So in a state like California, um, even though technically we had lost uh, population, our state is still humongous. And so, you know, we're looking at state Senate size districts that are roughly a million, almost a million, just a little under a million people, um, state assembly districts that are under half a million people and congressional districts that are roughly, um, you know, three quarters of a million in size. I mean, these are really big districts. And, and then uh, Board of Equalization is just, I mean, it's, 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 it's 10 million people or so roughly. I mean, it's, they're huge. And yet. LA County population. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, 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 um, you know, so equal population. So each district has to have an equal number of people. Number two is the VRA or the Voting Rights Act and ensuring that we are um, following the VRA rules, which means that, um, as long as certain areas fall under or, or meet the criteria of a Voting Rights Act region, we need to ensure that um, we can enable the citizens or the residents in that particular area to be able to elect a candidate of their choice. And so as a result, um, we have districts that are um, um, that that reflect the growth in the Latino community in California. So uh, Latino majority districts that that meet the VRA criteria. Uh, we have um, a couple assembly districts that are Asian majority districts. And, and I believe that we just had a new election in the San Gabriel Valley. Um, we also have, while um, in Los Angeles in particular, um, there weren't necessarily a black BRA district, we were able to also ensure that uh, there were uh, historically Black communities that were also able to uh, be reflected in their representation to uh, ensure that um, the community's uh, voice and needs will also be considered strongly by their elected candidates of choice. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it, I, I, I guess what we saw in the aftermath, because we don't, we, uh, out of the six criteria, political participation, you know, political identity is not taken into account. What we ultimately saw is that we created a, a, you know, districts and representation for communities that give a, we hope, we hope a better, um, a better opportunity for diverse communities to have 
representatives that really will take these communities' needs into account. It doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, for sure somebody, uh, you know, of a certain party or of a certain ethnicity or race, but it is about ensuring that these communities will be able to elect candidates that um, will be the community's candidate of choice that reflect, I think, the needs of the community. So. Okay, thank you, Linda. Linda, you've had a lot of leadership experiences. You've been on various boards. You're the president and CEO of LEAP. You were a commissioner on the California Redistricting Commission. What are a few lessons that you learned that you can share with listeners uh, through your experience? I think one, um, I would just say a lesson learned is engagement is important. Uh, whether it's on a board, uh, whether it's on a commission. I'm also on the California Department of Insurance. They have a diversity task force. And, um, you know, part of it is to help um, drive, um, you know, a focus on diversity at, you know, amongst insurance companies and also to advise the commissioner uh in, in, you know, in issues around diversity. And I think we're bringing voices of diverse Californians to even that body as well, too. And I think that's one of the lessons learned is that um, our, our, our different bodies, whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's a, a school board, or whether it's a commission, or it's an elected official, uh, I think that we oftentimes have more power than we realize we have. And I just wanna remind everybody, your voice matters. Um, and it's important that if something is important to you that, that you share your thoughts, your opinions, whether it's with the school or whether it's with the elected bodies or whether it's a commission or nonprofit, even a company, you know? I think they need to hear from us. And I think that that is, that engagement is really important. And I think um, even when you think they're not listening, I think the act of speaking up, of saying something, of putting it out there for others to see is still important because someone somewhere is gonna see it and it's gonna be taken seriously. And, you know, and I think that that's one of the important lessons learned. I'm glad you shared that, Linda, because often I hear people like, oh, my vote doesn't matter. My voice doesn't matter. But as you alluded to, it really does make a difference. If you write, you go on Zoom, whatever it is that you do, that your voice is heard. And I, I have friends that are elected officials, and I remind them on a regular basis that, hey, you, you work for me, <laughs> that type of thing. So that's right. people standing up at the school boards and the various other places to make sure their voices are heard. So thank you for sharing that. So Linda, as we get ready to wind down the um, Orlando plane, so to speak, are there any final thoughts that you that you want to share with our listening audience? Um, I I guess I would just say, um, you know, it, it it for me as a as as a leader, I would say I'm constantly learning, and I think that's why I say. Um, people speaking up is important that their voices matter, even when they think that they, they, you know, that it doesn't matter or it's not going to be heard. 
regardless of what it is, I think the changes that we have seen happens because someone somewhere says something. And that sometimes creates the snowball effect. And, and you find other like-minded people um, agree or disagree with whatever is being said. I think it's important that if you disagree with something that is being done or something that's being said, you know, I think we just need to be able to say it and and find others who may also have similar thoughts and the importance of making sure that even even with um, with the idea that oh you know they're not going to care because I have the minority opinion um, I think if we're not saying something you know we're going to get what we have which is the status quo and I think that as leaders or even you know even as someone you, you know even if somebody who's listening says I'm not a leader you know what you don't have to think about yourself as a leader, but you can help create change, you know, just by speaking up and, and just be willing to, to say, you know, the status quo isn't good enough anymore, especially given what's happening right now in this world. I think we all need to just say, to not just complain, but to just kind of put something into action so that we could create that, that kind of process of change because you know, uh, change is inev inevitable. Um, I think I, I'm of the mind that I would rather be the one helping to create it rather than just letting it happen to me, so. I like that. You know, the legendary football coach Lou Holtz once said, and I do quote, that when it's all said and done, there's more said than done, unquote. You know, so get involved, be yep. different. Yep. Before I let you go, we have to do a real quick lightning round. So dog or cat? Dog. Equity or inclusion? Ooh, equity. Intern or CEO? Intern. All right. Sports or food? Food. Okay. Travel abroad or staycation? Ooh, travel abroad. All right. Linda, thank you very much again for taking the time to just share your story with us. Talk a little bit about what's happening with the uh, LEAP organization. Again, congratulations on 40 years. You guys are doing some amazing work. And I trust and hope that some of our listeners will go to the website at www.leap.org and find out ways in which they can get involved. So thank you very much for being with us on this, um, on this podcast. Thank you so much for, for having me. And thanks so much for your for your wonderful moderating. This was a, such a great conversation and I'm glad that I had this opportunity with you. You're welcome. So as we get ready to sign off, I just want to give you your coachable moment. Your coachable moment is something that you can do for yourself. And what I want you to do is I want you to take one key uh, takeaway or things, a lesson learned that Linda shared on this podcast and apply it to your leadership journey. Whether you're an experience, whether you're neophyte or you're just in between, take something that you can apply to your life. And I'm very grateful for everyone who's uh, been joining on the Deep In with Ed podcast. I ask that you just share the podcast with others. And by the way, Leap has its own podcast. So you can also tune in on some of the great things that they're doing with their uh, particular organization. Very grateful and thankful for Nicole Robinson, who always 
uh, produces these shows for me and edit them. And as I want to let everybody know that the Deep End with Ed podcast is a Beyond the Mass Conversations production. So thank you. And we'll see you on the next episode of Deep End with Ed podcast.